And so what I want to do is a couple of things this morning as we introduce this series. I want to introduce some of the reasons we pray, some of the types of prayer and reasons we pray kind of set a foundation. And then uh, Pastor Ryan goes, oh, yeah, and Charlie, by the way, I want you to deal with all the problems of prayer, too. Oh, thank you. I get that part. But I also want to look at some of the challenges to our prayers. And then the coming weeks, the team is going to bring some amazing content. Uh, you already were well served last week. Aren't you glad for last week's message in helping prepare us for the realities of the life in which we do this kind of prayer? Um, <clears throat> have you heard phrases like this? Our thoughts and prayers are with you. By the way, always welcome that. Aren't you glad people are actually thinking of you and praying for you? It's interesting. We say that. What we, what, we, what we mean by that, hopefully, is a deep commitment of support. So it must matter that people are thinking and praying for us. You often hear phrases about the power of prayer. And so we want to delve into this together. So let's just begin with the good news of this divine invitation. Prayer is a dialogue in our relationship with God. Now, I just told Christina um, I wanted to thank her for something. And uh, by the way, when you, when you see her, just thank her for this. She agreed to give Kathy and I a completely paid weekend at Pebble Beach. Okay? And then another paid weekend at Carmel. <coughs> but I turned her down. I said, you know, I see Kathy every day. I don't need to do that. Are you kidding? Now, let me use the analogy here. By the way, I'm not putting that on Christina, but she's a good sport. But she's welcome to, you know, anyway, moving on. Prayer is the creator of the universe, the redeemer of our lives, the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-intimate, almighty God inviting us to know him to listen to him and to talk to him and to find out more about him, and we turn it into a duty. It's like me turning Carmel into a duty. <clears throat> now, I know life can't all be about Carmel weekends. Should be, but it can't all be that. Life involves work and struggle and ups and downs, but prayer is the divine invitation to a relationship, to an intimacy with him. You know, in the Bible, it's amazing from God's first question to Adam, Adam, where are you? Genesis chapter 3. How many of you know God did not need to know his geography? He was anxious for Adam to get honest with him. Uh, and then what, what does Adam do? Pass the buck on Eve. And we've been going downhill ever since. Or Abraham bargaining with God to save the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So God has always invited his people to pray. So in addition to knowing him and enjoying him, and we'll look into that in more depth, prayer is also part of God's mission as he invites us to be in partnership with him. Prayer is both mission and partnership. God has chosen to use our prayers as vital to his mission in the world. Now, I, I talked to God one day about how terribly inefficient he is. Now, some of you work in hardware and software and high-tech and virtual reality, and, and I, I told God one day, why don't you just get the Dolby brothers to put a surround sound in the sky and then, a, you know, a 5 or 6 or 7G 
projection and just tell the whole world to repent at once. It'd be so much more efficient. And instead, he uses us. He uses our words, good deeds, our comradeship and friendship, and our prayers in his mission of reconciliation and restoration. It's so inefficient, and it's so glorious. He has all the power in the world, and he chooses to do powerful work through us. So our prayers are part of his work in the world. And and what's really kind of paradoxical is it's God himself that moves us to pray. How many of you have been in that moment where you know you really need to take a moment and pray? Something's stirring you. That's God working. Then you pray, and then God uses that prayer to make a difference in the world. So that's a foundation. And just some model prayers as you're taking some notes and taking a look. Just some examples. If you don't, if you've never been much of a verbal prayer or you don't know where to start, or if you're a veteran and think you know it all, go to God's Word. And there's some amazing prayers here. So just some examples. Jesus' prayers. The most famous one is the Lord's Prayer. You find it in Matthew 6 and other parts of the Gospels. Jesus didn't intend it simply to be a corporate prayer or a rote prayer. He intended it to be a model of calling out to God our Father, a model of asking God to meet our needs and to forgive our sins, and a model of seeking his kingdom. It's an amazing, amazing prayer. Take a look at it and and speak it back to him. And then in John chapter 17, as Jesus is getting ready to go to to the cross for our sins, He prays for his disciples and all of us. He says, God, I don't just pray for my friends here alone. I pray for all who will believe. And Jesus prays that we would be holy, that we would be one, that we'd be united. In fact, he prayed four times that we'd be one. And by the way, when there's repetition, it's because it's going to be hard. God, unite them. Bring them into unity. Make them one. And then at the very end of that prayer, he says, Father, I want them, my friends, to know the love that we've had before the world began. What an amazing set of prayers here. If you want to go further, pray for spiritual growth from the book of Ephesians. In fact, you heard it this morning from the worship team that God is praying that we would know him more deeply in the power of his resurrection that we would grow close to him and have wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Then there's also a time where we need to call out for mercy. Psalm 51 is the most famous prayer for mercy where David is crying out to God to forgive his adultery and his murder and his conspiracy and his, his, his overall depravity that that whole episode with Bathsheba represents. He cries out for mercy. And even though we're, we're his children, we're headed for heaven, there are times we need to cry out for mercy, both for ourselves and sometimes for our land. But there's also a wonderful prayer after we've cried out to God. Aren't you glad that he forgives our sins? He doesn't remember them anymore. Psalm 32, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, against whom the Lord will not count his iniquity. And I want to give you a phrase that I want you to remember the rest of your life. There is no rap sheet in heaven toward toward any of us. I don't know about you. I still remember a lot of things I did. God doesn't. On the cross, Jesus took our whole rap sheet. 
every thought, word, and deed, he bore it for us. And so God is not inclined toward us as an adversary, but we have an advocate in the cross of Jesus Christ. And then there's a time for lament, a time for complaint. This, this point on the, on the screen and the final point, there are times we just need to complain. Am I the only one that has just complained to God? He can handle it. God, this is agonizing. God, I've been praying. God, where are you? You really need to show up here. Or, the, or sometimes the more irritating prayers. God, why are all those pagan, secular, ungodly, cult-following, Hollywood, whatever phrase you want to use, why are they healthy, strong, rich, and live forever? Why did my friend just die of cancer? Why did my holy and righteous friend go through that? I am not happy, God. This is Psalm 73. So when you need to complain, there's a psalm for you. Actually, it's a whole bunch of them. But keep reading. The writer said, this was really upsetting to me. And then I entered the sanctuary of God, and I got an eternal perspective. I understood destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? And having you, I need nothing on earth. Oh, Lord, you are my portion, and you will take me into glory. And then, by the way, just reverse the numbers, Psalm 37. This is how you live while you wait for your prayers to be answered. Trust in the Lord and do good. The meek will inherit the earth. And so we have marvelous examples of God's people wrestling and rejoicing in prayer. There's also a time, Exodus 32 and other places, for intercession. Now, while Moses was up getting the Ten Commandments, anybody seen the old movie with Charlton Heston? If you haven't, you need to. It's one of those classics. He's up on the mountain. Now, the Bible is sometimes a little tame in how we translate the Hebrew. While Moses is up on the mountain, I want you to imagine a combination of the most debauched thing you can imagine and the burning man, and that's what was happening. They resurrected all their old pagan revelry. They made, I mean, the pre high priest Aaron, I don't know what happened. We just kind of put the gold in the fire and out came this golden calf. I mean, they were completely falling into sin and rebellion. Moses comes down, smashes those tablets, and God is ready to start over with Moses. Now, I don't know about you. If I were Moses, I'd almost be tempted to take him up on the offer. What does Moses do? God, please don't do that. Read chapter 32, 33, 34. God, please don't do that. For your name's sake, have mercy. In fact, Moses said, blot me out. There have been times Kathy and I have prayed for situations where we said, Lord, Lord, let us suffer instead of them. Lord, hear our cry as we pray for others and pray the will of God for others. God uses intercession and uses prayers of his people. Praise his holy name. So as we look at these wonderful foundations, what are some of the problems? What are some of the problems and paradoxes in prayer? As we just try to get honest about understanding this. <clears throat> and I was both honored to be able to lead this series, but also challenged by the fact that as we get excited to pray, things immediately come to our attention. 
And by the way, am I the only one that when I'm actually going to take a moment to be quiet, that 83 things come to my mind? Isn't it amazing? you are finally got a five minutes piece. You're going to open the Bible. You're going to pray. And a hundred things come to your mind. Put the digital stuff outside. Now, anyway, you, you get my point. It's really challenging. So let's, let's look at some of these questions. First of all, if God is sovereign, if God is in control, if God is all-powerful and knows all things, why should we pray? And I want to expose a mistake we make when we say God is sovereign or God is in control. I want to expose a couple mistakes. First of all, not everything that occurs is God's will. When someone sins, that's not God's will. When there is a hit-and-run accident, that is not God's will. In other words, God's overall plan for the cosmos, no one's going to change. God is aware of all of this, and in both the cross and resurrection of Christ, has experienced all of this. But don't bring false comfort by saying, well, that terrible thing must have been God's will. However, God's will can be done in and through all of the challenges we face. Romans 8, 28. In all things, God is at work. He is not ordaining all things, but he's at work in all things to bring about his glory. See, human sovereignty, when we're in charge of our lives, it leads to frustration. When we let him be in charge, we begin to experience fulfillment. Can I hear a few people say yes to that? When, you're, when, we're, when we're in charge, it's frustrating. But when we allow him, he's already the sovereign of the universe, but he needs our invitation to be the sovereign of our life. You know, I was in a Christian college one day in a chapel, and I saw a young man pacing, and I'll change his name to protect the guilty. He's a, he's a dear friend and doing well in life today, but at the time he was really agitated and I went up and said, John, what is going on here? And he goes, it's not right. It is not right. I said, what's not right? She said no. I said, well, help me understand. It was God's will that this woman and I get married, but she said no. Well, at that moment, how many of you know he didn't need counseling? He needed somebody to cry with him. So I sat down and cried with him for a minute. And here was something that he eventually learned in the course of some counsel and some coming out of that difficulty is that love is a voluntary yes. What makes yes so powerful is the possibility of no. Kathy and I often tell God, we love your gift of free will until our kids use it. He was experiencing deep disappointment, and there was nothing wrong. There was no sin in some of those feelings he had. He needed to process them. But his theology needed to expand. You see, God is sovereign. From creation to consummation, there's nothing that escapes his attention. And in all things, he's at work. And if people are going to be obstinate, he'll even use the obstinance to bring glory another way, like he did with Pharaoh and the exodus of the Jews, the Hebrews from Egypt. 
But God's sovereignty also includes our free choices. Our choices make a huge difference in the world. They bring things into the world that weren't there before. And so I want to encourage you. Our prayers have been designed by God to really matter. When we pray, both for ourselves and for others, when we call out to him, God has chosen that that's a means by which real work gets done in the world. He's at work. By the way, this young man went on, got some good counsel, went on in areas of ministry and service, happily married, kids, probably grandkids. I lost track. But he needed to know that God, God was there in his weeping because God knows what it's like to hold out his hand to obstinate people and have them say, no, thank you. And so his sovereignty isn't so much limited as it's so big that it includes all of our choices. Well, why are my prayers unanswered? Does anybody have a few prayers you feel like are still in the pending tray? I have 44 years worth of prayers and four minutes worth of prayers, okay? So why are our prayers unanswered sometimes? Let me share with you just from the scriptures now. Don't have to make this up. First of all, sometimes our prayers are unanswered because we are walking in rebellion. We are of a double-mindedness. James 1 says, you have not because you ask not, and when you ask, you ask with the wrong motives. Psalm 66 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, God isn't going to hear me. Now, before I go on, I want you to hear something. I'm not talking about the struggles we have with areas in our life. Am I the only one that has not yet achieved full sanctification? Okay. So your, your habits and your hurts and the things you struggle with, they don't keep God from hearing you because you're working on them. You're asking his help. You're getting prayer from others. But if you're living in overt rebellion, if you're, if you're saying one thing to God but really believing another, it's not so much God punishing you as how is he going to answer when you don't have the character for the answer? So I, I want to be, be gentle, but I want to be, be biblically strong here. Let's keep a humble heart toward God. And when you come to him and say, Lord, I don't deserve to be heard, but through Jesus Christ, my sins are forgiven. Lord, I'm still struggling with that anger toward that friend. But, I, I, Lord, I bless that friend. Help them. Forgive them. How many of you know God hears that prayer? And so sometimes our own mixed motives can get in the way. Secondly, sometimes God delays the answer so he gets greater glory. John chapter 9, the religious leaders thought they could catch Jesus, and they said, was this man born blind because of his sin or the sin of his parents? Folks, I don't know about you, but I'm not, I'm not, I may not be all that educated on some levels, but somebody born blind didn't sin to be born blind. We live in a fallen world, and that gentleman was born that way, and it wasn't because of his parents' sin. Jesus said, you've missed the whole point. This has occurred that God might be glorified. And Jesus is going to heal the blind man of his physical sightlessness. He's going to heal his blindness, and he's going to awaken faith in that man. By the end of the chapter, he's bowing down before Jesus as a new disciple and kicked out of his synagogue for doing so. So sometimes there's a delay because God has a greater answer in mind. Thirdly, Sometimes we're in a spiritual battle. 
And you read the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, 17, 18, along the journeys of Paul in ministry. In a couple of cases, it said the Holy Spirit told us, don't go there. And in another case, it said Satan prevented us. We're in a spiritual battle. There's another team on the field. And so sometimes God, there's, there's a delay in our answers because there's a real spiritual battle going on, and that's a call to persevere. You can read this in the book of Daniel as well. This three-week delay in an answer to prayer wasn't because Daniel was a sinner or because the prayer was wrong, but because there's a real spiritual battle. And by the way, God wants us involved in his victory. Again, he's got the power to just eliminate everything by decree, and he's chosen to use our prayers. Another reason prayers go unanswered, or at least seem delayed, or there's struggles, is that God wants us as members of the body of Christ to come into a deeper unity with our brothers and sisters. If there are relational breakdowns, sometimes God will use those delays in prayer to awaken us to the need to make things right with others. Again, not punishing us, but actually rewarding us as a heavenly father and teaching us how to be in unity. In fact, Peter puts it this way. He says, to husbands and wives, dwell together in knowledge so nothing hinders your prayers. Isn't that fascinating? In Ephesians 4, he says, maintain the unity in the bond of peace. Why? Because that unity, that agreement is part of what God's ordained. Just as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are forever in agreement, so he's called us not to have all the same opinions about everything, but to be in relational integrity and agreement and love. So sometimes there's just a bit of a delay so that we can get every relationship right with him. By the way, sometimes the answer is no that he's got a greater answer. We have all experienced yeses and noes. Can I just tell you, I like yeses better than noes. We have all prayed for people to be healed and seen them healed, and we've prayed for people to be healed, and the only healing will be because they're in the presence of Jesus. And that's part of the paradox that we have to live with. But the good news is that our prayers still matter. Let's go a little deeper. By the way, can you please explain to me in this valley how it is that we have more data and less wisdom than ever? I'm trying to figure out how we have more access to data and knowledge and yet less agreement on what's real. When I was studying history at uh, Santa Cruz, I'm a proud banana slug three times there and uh, did my theology in Berkeley and still came out a Christian, so everybody relax, all right? Um, but... I had, I'd have history teachers come up and do this. They'd go, some events really happened. Because it was that, that moment of history that we still see today of, well, that's your opinion, and that's your opinion, and we can't really know anything, and, you know, it's all narrative, all opinion, all subjective. Folks, I want you to know that when you pray, God is present and listening. Oh, maybe not in some of the feelings or some of the manifestations you would prefer, but he is there. And let's go a little deeper here. How do you know you're not just talking to yourself? How do you know you're not just breathing into the air? According to Scripture, it is impossible, if we're honest, to look at the cosmos and our conscience, Romans 1 and 2, and not know he's there. 
And if you're a believer in Christ, if, if you have said yes to his lordship in your life, you have said yes to his cross and resurrection, which is the defining event in history. And just as that defining event changed all of history and our history, so he is with us by the Holy Spirit, and he asks that we trust that he's there. But the key thing here is, how do we know it's God speaking and not the pizza we ate? How do we know it's not just our wishful thinking? And here's your simple answer. If what you are praying and longing for and calling out for brings glory to him and good to others as well as yourself, you can be pretty assured, if it's according to Scripture and for his honor, that you're in his will and he's present and he's working. What do you say we get to prayer? And so it's real. He's present with conviction. By the way, he's the only one that can convict us and comfort us in the same moment. Have you noticed that on have you noticed that when you come to awakening? Oh Lord, I'm glad to be at church. Or some of you drag in because you haven't had too, enough caffeine yet. But you're glad to be here. Have you ever noticed in the middle of the musical part of worship or maybe a part of the message or at the prayer time, have you ever noticed this wonderful feeling of his presence? And then, then I hope often, or at least every so often, in the same five-minute period, something is touched inside that you know you need to work on or make right. That's how you know he's present. Because he comes with comfort and conviction, never with condemnation or hopelessness. But he loves you too much to leave you the same. And he loves you so much that he gives you hope. Well, let's go one step deeper. Why should I persevere in prayer? Why can't I just pray a prayer one time, put it in the pending tray, and get on with life? I mean, you, you read Matthew chapter 6. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. The door will be open to you. Keep on persevering. I've been persevering 44 years for my natural brothers. Why do I persevere? Our perseverance is not to persuade God, but to transform our character and to keep influencing the course of history in the lives of others. Remember I said that human freedom is part of God's will? One of the other reasons prayers aren't always instantly answered or and the reason we persevere in prayer is because the people we're praying for have free will. I know it's hard for you to believe, but not everybody who heard the Apostle Paul was converted. Some became part of the new church and some walked away. There's a mystery there, but God has decided to use our prayers and so our perseverance is for our character transformation, not to persuade or twist his arm, but so that we might be changed in humility and patience, and so that God can keep us partnering with him to bring good to the world. Are you aware that we have just a slight bit of issues with culture and politics in our world, or am I the only one? Just a little bit of anger and polarization? Can I tell you the most powerful thing you can do? regardless of your policy opinions, regardless of your political affiliations, the most powerful thing you can do is to pray blessing on the very people that anger you the most. To go in the opposite spirit of the very thing that we watch all around us. And somebody asked me, what do you think of the 
last couple of presidents. I said, well, I haven't had a favorite one since Eisenhower. I just do that to get, get the whole thing off the, off the table. I'm a historian. I can live in any era I want to. But here's my real point. I, pray, I have prayed for every president from the time I became a Christian. That would have been, let's see, yeah, a few months just before he resigned. I prayed for Richard Nixon. I prayed for Gerald Ford. I prayed for Jimmy Carter. I prayed for both Bushes. I prayed for the Clintons. I prayed for the Obamas. And I pray for President Trump. And I pray for legislators. I pray for governors. I pray for city council members. And it's not because I agree with them but because God has decided to use my petitions and prayers to make a difference in the world. And the more I pray for them, the more I cannot give in to my anger and begin to be an activist in the right way. Folks, I urge you, keep persevering. Let me just share a couple more points before we close and do some prayer together. One of the challenges in the history of the church is the contemplative and active life. From the third century to the current day, there have been these tensions of those called to the monastic calling or to certain kinds of spiritual leadership or others even today will say, well, I'm called to hours and hours of prayer. And by the way, that's great. That, we call that a contemplative life where it's quieter life. There's more time for prayer and study. And then there are others that are just more active, both because of necessity or calling or personality. And this is how it often works when we get kind of past all the niceness. So the, the, the activist, the person here at Awakening that gets things done, they come up and they say to you, hey, will you serve in the children's ministry? And the contemplative goes, I'll pray about it. Now, by the way, they're both doing the right thing. The activist needs volunteers, and the contemplative's not wrong to say I should pray about it because there's only so many time units in life, and you need to know it's, it's God's work in the world. But here's what really goes on sometimes. The activist is going, you're just using prayer as an excuse. And the contemplative is going, you're not even spiritual. Now, not here at Awakening. I just heard rumors those things happen. Folks, it's a false dichotomy. We are all to be contemplative activists. We are all to have a rich inner life and do what God's told us to do. That includes everyday work. That includes family. That includes work here at Awakening. All the things. I read, I read the Bible. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do how much to the glory of God? All to the glory of God. Whatever you do, publicly, privately, paid, unpaid, school, work, parenting, grandparenting, whatever you do. Now, here's the thing that I want to share that I think will be absolutely liberating as we get ready to pray together and we get ready to go from this place to a valley that's pretty intense. Don't turn prayer into a duty. Let it be a delight. Let it be a partnership. And don't restrict prayer to that moment in the morning or that moment at lunch or that moment in the evening. Make it a lifestyle. Make it breathing. If you're a new parent, your prayer life is five minutes at a time in between feedings and changings. If you're starting a business, your prayers are continual. Now, some of you can get the time in the morning to take an hour or more. And that, please, boy, take whatever time you can to be alone with God. But don't let, don't let 
your schedule keep you from prayer. Let prayer invade your schedule. Oh, by the way, pretty soon your schedule will change. Do you really have to binge watch one more hour? I'm not even saying don't binge watch, binge watch something. I know the good TV series. They, they all ended in 1983, but I know them. Not really. Oh, folks, I, God's not a killjoy. He's inviting us to know him. So turn off the clicker for a few minutes and talk to God. If you're in the car, and especially if you're in the car between 6 a.m. and 8 a.m. and between 3.30 p.m. and whatever p.m. in the evening on main arteries in the Silicon Valley, how many of you know you're in a car? And if you're not in a carpool or driving one of those very slow Priuses, God bless Prius drivers. I used to be one. I drove it like a normal car, and people still passed me at 20 miles an hour past the speed limit because they couldn't believe I was driving the speed limit in a Prius. Some of you are looking at the gas gauge. Ooh, I'm up to 50 miles per gallon. Of course, there's a whole 85 cars behind you, but you're up. Anyway, moving on. We have time to pray. If it's important to God, there's time to do it. But don't turn it into a duty. Don't turn it into somebody else's discipline. Make it yours. And finally, as we properly conclude for the third time, Jesus gave us a command to love each other. He gave us a commission to make disciples. He gave us an invitation to be yoked with him, to get a real rest, as Eugene Peterson says, to find out the unforced rhythms of grace. If you're burned out on religion, if you're tired of all the demands, Come to me. I'm not going to let you just sit around. I'm going to put a I'm going to let you partner with me and we'll go at the right pace and the right way of life. And here's what God promises us. Our prayers are not incantations and formulas, but they are incarnational faith. God offers us comfort when we pray when we can and the conviction to pray all the time. He offers us comfort that our prayers are heard, but he offers us conviction that his word will work in our life. He offers us comfort that even our sighs and our longings, according to Psalm 56, he collects our tears in his bottle. He records our lament on his scroll. He is there, and he challenges us to really believe that we're being heard. Maturity is living with the joy and the sorrow, with the delay and the immediacy, with the faith and the hope and the love that we're called to, and with the contradictions that come in a fallen world. Folks, why pray? Because he's invited us to intimacy. He uses our intercession, and through our prayers, the world changes. Would you bow your heads with me? Hallelujah. The worship team's going to come, and we're going to have a chance just to take a little extra time. But I'd like us to pray in a couple of things that we've heard today, not only in my words, but through God's word that we have sung, that we have prayed, that we have read and heard. Lord, we come to you as your family, and we give you praise and honor that you hear our prayers, that you invite us to know you. 
Lord, right now, we want to cast all of our cares on you. Would you lift up what is causing you anxiety today? Would you just quietly but verbally articulate? You don't have to disturb your neighbor, but just say, God, I give you that burden. I give you that person, that situation, that physical, financial, emotional, vocational need. Whatever it is, would you just give him that burden? According to God's word, I want you just to receive this this morning. Call out to him. Our God is a refuge for us. He is the Lord who daily bears our burdens. He is present and working in that situation. Would you take a moment and say, Lord, would you forgive me for prayerlessness? For times when I know you've been moving me to pause and to pray and I just got too busy or too distracted. Lord, thank you for the blood of Christ. Thank you that you want me to join with your spirit in making a difference in the world in my prayers. Would you begin to thank him now that he wants to use your prayers? So, Father, we take a moment as the family called awakening right now, and together we pray blessing upon the body of Christ, upon every community in this valley where Jesus Christ is Lord. May they grow in wisdom and knowledge and truth and joy and impact. And then, God, we take a moment and we pray for all in power, influence, and authority. Whether we agree or do not agree, we bless those, Lord. Those women and men, we bless them in Jesus' name. And where there's repentance needed, we cry out for mercy. Where we rejoice, we ask it to increase. Lord, we thank you that you hear our prayers. Praise your holy name. Praise your holy name. And just before I go and we sing that final song, would you take a moment and bless the sister, the brother on your right and on your left and just say, Lord, let them feel your presence today. Let them know how much you long to hear their voice speaking to you and how much you long for them to hear your voice. God, still the hearts of our sisters and brothers. We thank you for this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.